1: they can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: G'day, welcome to Better Than Yesterday. Making it better since... What's a better way to say that? Trying to make it better since 2013 by just chatting. I don't know. I'm trying to come up with a tagline for my show on the fly. You'd think I would after 10 years. Anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, This is what the podcast does. We're just trying to make it better than yesterday. We just talk to people. That's it. I'm Washer Ginsburg. I'm a TV host. I'm a podcaster. I'm an author. I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. I'm currently making this podcast on a fold-out table that I nicked from production, uh, but they don't know it. So if you're currently uh, one of the uh, associate producers or showrunners on um, season 11 of The Bachelor and you're wondering where your small fold-out table went, I took it. I did tell someone. They did. I didn't steal it. Someone saw it. But, uh, yeah, I just put it under my arm and walked out the door with it, put it in my car, and now it's in my apartment because I have an apartment that does not have a table to work at. I mean, there's a table to eat at. That's good, but it's in the echoiest part of the... Look, it's an apartment. You want to have it easy to clean. So the surfaces are very echoey. But the non-echoey part, like there's no table. Anyway, you don't need to know about furniture and short-term rentals. You need to know about Taylor Steele because that's who we're talking to today. This is a short version of a much longer conversation involving just the epic, epic groundbreaking filmmaker Taylor Steele. In 2017, I went and met Taylor Steele. He is um, one of the most important uh, surf documentary makers of all time. Even if you're not into surfing, this conversation you're going to dig because Taylor is a prolific and influential creator of surf films. And In fact, his first film was called Momentum. He was 20 in 1992 when he made it, 20. And when you look at who was in Momentum, it'll blow your mind. By making that film, Taylor essentially created a new style of how surf films would therefore be judged on from that point forward. He was 20. It's amazing to watch. Taylor and I caught up in Sydney at the QT Hotel, which is a very long way from San Diego, California, where he grew up. And I guess, you know, there's a stereotype of California kids. They grew up on the beach. They must be into surfing or playing guitar. I wanted to know if that was what it was like for Taylor or what was he into when he was in high school?
3: Yeah, like uh, actually before like uh, I got into um, video videoing was what I got into. Um, and I sort of stole our family camera, started videoing every time we'd go to the beach. Was it
2: a VHS or was it high eight by then?
3: It it wasn't high eight. It was, it was, um, it wasn't like a big VHS tape, but it was uh, a sort of a hybrid that they don't even have anymore. Yeah. You know, like it was, I think it went into a VHS tape. It was like a, Wow. Like a, a, a They've always
2: been about use our format so you can't use it anywhere yeah, else, aren't they? Yeah.
3: So, <laughs> we bought a video camera for Christmas and I just took it over and used it. And me and my friends would take turns filming each other. And, and I got really into it. And basically, um, you know, I just was hooked. That was my thing. But before that, my dad was worried that I was going to do nothing with my life and that he would call me a poor specimen, um, get off the couch, you poor specimen. And, and, you know, he was, he was worried. And then nowadays it's the other way he's, He's worried because I work too much because I love it so much.
2: But now, okay, you want to shut your, yeah, that's cool, man. Um, I was just thinking this, like, I only, last week I got this phone and it's, you know, it's absolute bananas. I can film 120 frame a second, 1080p slow-mo on my phone and then publish it for the world to see within a minute yeah. of itself. But you're you're talking about lugging around. <laughs> i don't know 10 or 20 kilos worth of gear once you get the tripods and everything and the power supplies down to the beach uh right. to take photos and take take videos of your friends were you at what point because there's a there's a big jump between just filming your friends and then oh, it'd be good if we edited out all the paddling parts like mm. were you editing from the camera down to a the home machine mm. what was the first edits you were doing
3: yeah and the first edits uh that happened pretty quick for for me i was editing from the camera to a vhs tape pretty quick and the way that I would do it, it, it was completely linear. You would edit every wave in order, and then you'd go back and place the song underneath it. And so sometimes this song would match, and sometimes it wouldn't, and it would surprise you when it does match. And you sort of have to guess and, and map it out in your head. So, um, but I was editing right away, and, and that was just part of the thing, maybe just being a 12 year old and having time on my hands. I just just, just started doing it. But I guess when you're 12,
2: you know, I kind of wonder now, uh, uh, do kids now have this disadvantage that they're so distracted all day long by this thing versus just plowing every minute of your day into be it a guitar or writing or taking a photograph or something?
3: Yeah, you know, the, um, it's interesting because, uh, you know, video games and all those things were out then. I was just into making videos. And I think it's it's nice if you have something you're passionate about to just, Focus on that and and just really dive into it. Um, compared to trying to learn everything and being sort of good at everything, but just really jumping into something that you are really into.
2: What did you get out of filming your friends?
3: Um, well, you know, like probably there was um, you know, I was probably into watching myself too, you know, like and trying to make um, you know, uh, you know, we'd take turns videoing each other. So like, I got to watch myself surf, which is always um, disheartening at first, and then you get used to it. And then then it's sort of fun if you take out the bad bits and try to make yourself look as good as possible. Um, but I think, like, there's a lot of—I uh, was super shy, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, approval and, and sort of, like, praise that I would get back from it, and I fed off that. Would you invite people around for the uh, screenings? You know, as I got into high school, I would <laughs> <laughs> come
2: on over. Taylor's got this rad video of us all surfing last weekend. Yeah,
3: exactly. And it, and it, and then I started trading out clips that I'd get of people for like new board shorts and like stickers and stuff. And I was starting to get stuff back from it too.
2: Also, oh, the economy began. The, yeah, uh, the yeah. Bali
3: barter. At an early age, like at fourteen or so, I was, I'd be able to if I got a good clip, I could trade it for or something.
2: A, a clip of a, a surfer. A,
3: of another surfer, yeah.
2: And you would then give them the tape.
3: Yeah, then, I'd make a little, I'd put a couple waves of them down on a tape and then trade out for, you know, board shorts or Because t-shirt. I guess,
2: you know, prior to, uh, prior to Instagram or prior to having a magazine photographer interested in you,
3: footage was a rare commodity. It was rare. Not a lot of people had cameras back then. So, um, like, for example, Machado, um, he, he never saw himself surf. So I got some footage of him, and he, he was very, like, excited to see how he, how he looked surfing. And then uh, after he saw that, he w- it was an uh, ongoing thing of he constantly would be, you know, inviting me on trips and, like, so he could get more footage and and check it out. It yeah, was a because,
2: tour. Yeah, but that's the thing. That's the thing that you then, you know, the way the economy at the time worked is that here's some footage of photographs of me, surf company. Why don't you put me in a pair of your board shorts and, you know, yeah. I can wear them on your trip. And just for folks who don't understand how surfers can, can make money, this is the, this is the currency yeah. uh, that, that surfers kind of trade in. So that, I'm always fascinated with people who move in in, in, in circles. So you and Machado, like from that age, you were around each other?
3: We, like 12, we Far were like, Hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. We surfed the same surf spot. And so, I, you know, he wasn't a part of our group that we'd rotate and video each other, but he was like a year younger and he was ripping. So we'd video all the local rippers too. And then, you know, it's sort of evolved from that. By the time Taylor created his first movie, Momentum, he had logged
2: a lot of hours filming surfing. So... In the early days of his work, I wonder what people thought of it.
3: Did they realize that he was doing something a little bit different? I think my evolution as a filmmaker was really slow during those times. You know, like, I don't think I was that good.
2: Well, clearly something happened because only a few short years later, you created one of the, the, the most seminal surf films of certainly my
3: lifetime with the uh, momentum. I think, uh, you know, looking back on it, it's, it's the good thing about that film is I embraced my weaknesses and, and the flaws became strengths and th- how simple of, of skills that I had became, you know, I guess maybe more profound because it was so minimalist.
2: What happens when you turn in and, and lean into those flaws?
3: Uh, what, what's that?
2: What happens when you lean into those flaws when you go, okay, let's go?
3: You know, like I, I I borrowed money to make that film and it was sort of like one of these things like I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to um, really go for it. And I sort of felt like it was all or nothing. Like if that didn't work, then I was going to go back to college and, and sort of go find a normal job. Because at that time, surf films weren't really a career. You know, there was people didn't do that. There was a handful of people in the world that, that did that.
2: You were working with people that have obviously you know worked with photographers on the before, photographers both on the land, photographers on the water. What was it that you were doing differently?
3: Well, for one, I was shooting video and, and like most people were shooting photos. And there was just I was I was the well, he he shoots videos, we'll bring him with us. He's not a conflict, he he's doing his own thing. Um so I think it was quite honestly like like nobody was really like beating down the door to shoot Kelly and Rob during that time. And since I was around and I was excited to shoot with them, they're like, yeah, you could hang out. But but again, this is, everybody else Here is you know,
2: this is Rob, Did you like, this is my mate from school. This yeah.
3: Rob from school. Yeah. So Rob really like introduced me to everybody and his career escalating was the difference for me. If he didn't really make it and no one else in my hometown made it, it would have been really tough for me to to make that step. Watching um
2: your new film, I I, I did watch it on a on a download link, but I my monarch is this big, so yeah, I, I, did, I wasn't quite good. not quite the big screen uh, <laughs> that I'll I'll see at the at the premiere. Um but watching Proximity uh last night, I came out and uh it's possibly the most peaceful surf film I've ever watched.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I I think it's, uh, yeah. Um, Well, when we went in to make it, um, we were just knowing, like, I'll I'll just backtrack a little bit. Like, when Momentum came out, seeing surfing was a rarity. You know, there was, was, it wasn't on TV all the time. There's no internet. And so, you, you know, it was sort of a novelty to see it. Fast forward to now. It's everywhere. You're bombarded by it. And the progression level on the internet via the surf contest that you can watch have high stakes and crazy progression. You watch a webisode every day or or at least once a week that's next level, incredible. And all these things are sort of approached for a, a short attention span. And, you know, like I just sort of really went through, you know, two things. What... Would be a different film for me to make, and what would be different for the viewers to 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 experience? What is the, you know, purpose of a surf film nowadays? And so for me, um, you know, emotion is more of the difference. Um, emotion, having people feel something, and and challenge the way people, you know, digest surfing. Yeah.
2: Yeah, hit the nail on the head there. My my 13-year-old, she watches the Instagram stories that the WSL put up. And every I, I was like, oh, really? So I, I started following it along. And you're absolutely right. Every day, it's like tens of thousands of dollars of production value going into every frame. And they're, they're updated every six hours. You're watching someone doing a reverse, upside down, backwards something. And you just can't believe what's coming at you. And there's something new to look at four times a day versus when... You first put your first films out. It's like, oh, the movie's over. Let's rewind it and watch it again. Uh, come over, I've got a copy of it. Ooh, because you know dubbing things was hard. Yeah. And as you dubbed it, it degraded. You know, you got a second, third, fourth hand copy of it. You can barely see the picture. So it's fascinating hearing you say how people are how people have changed consuming the visuals mm-hmm. of surfing. Um, and describing a time before it was on every second Cola commercial or, you know, selling board shorts and clothes all over the world and becoming more, to be honest, more about selling board shorts and clothes than mm-hmm. being out in the ocean waiting for a wave. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting that, that the way you describe the, the difference in those two things. Um And again, there was one thing that I, the, the new film reminded me of, there was a couple of shots in there that really reminded me of um, no country for old men, mm. just these, long, locked-off shots of just tiny little Jeep traveling down a dirt road for 30 seconds, which is almost unheard of in a, in a surf film. I expect 16 edits and four songs in that time.
3: <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, it, this, this film has been a challenge against every sort of natural instinct to change, to pick it up, to appease the audience. And, and I guess for me... Um, You know like it's really having that point of difference and doing something that feels different feels fresh feels or or maybe not fresh maybe old but it just feels like uh, a different surf film than than that's been released and i think there's a challenge in that for me that that stimulates the desire to even make it is to try to how can you make something different in today's world we're back in a
2: second with taylor Steele. This is uh, Better Than Yesterday, and uh, here at the show, I don't do this myself. There's a few people that work for me, and I need to pay them. So here's some ads, and we're back in a moment. Hold
0: up.
2: Taylor Steele is an absolute game changer. He's a filmmaker of essentially surf films, but is, he documents a part of culture that is often overlooked. His work is incredibly influential. It's pushed boundaries in filmmaking. And as is the way, with success comes responsibility and more difficult conversations. So I was interested to find out how Taylor was able to deal with the business side of creativity.
3: Yeah, you know, like I'm a, a people pleaser. Um that's part of the reason that I make films. You know, it's it's I need that sort of affirmation. Um so when it comes to having somebody on the team or somebody that's helped fund it and, and having them not happy, it it is stressful for me. But I think, you know, like there's there's I I feel obligated just to, you know, myself um, and having that emotional connection to it, because I feel like that's the closest way for me to gauge what someone else in the world will think. What role does the
2: ocean play in your
3: stress relief? Um, I wish it was more during the edit process. <laughs> it's, it's a weird thing because making surf films is not the best way to stay in the water. Um, when I'm editing, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not surfing. But when I am everything else, I get surf time. So um, yeah, it, I, I wasn't able to use that as a tool this time or use mm. this as a escape from, from that stress. Do you
2: get antsy if you haven't been in the water for a while?
3: Yeah, yeah. My wife says like, uh, go surf. You know, like if, if I haven't surfed for a week or so, like she can feel it. You know, like you need to go surf. And then I come back and I'm just lighter. <laughs> lighter. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, when I, when I, you know, everything that sort of like is weighing you down on your, your daily sort of like stress when you go surf, each time I go under a wave, it washes some of that away. And then by the end of a normal surf session, it's usually gone. Well, what an incredible way to describe it.
2: Oh, there's would be people listening that would, would love to feel that, but there's something so intimidating about going out on the water past where you can touch.
3: Yeah, it takes time. You know, like there's just stepping stones. I, I remember taking my kids down to the water and and sort of hearing the ocean differently because it's loud. It's intense and there's a lot of energy to it. And if you're forcing against it, you know, it's quite intimidating. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's just stepping stones. Like for those who are not comfortable in the ocean, it's, it's slowly feeling it out. And then, you know, it, like anything, you, the more you do it, the better you get
2: do you think there's um as someone who's paid very close attention to the ocean since you were ten years old um, do you notice do you notice uh changes in the ocean as you as you travel around as you know we're being told on the news every day that you know we're we're in trouble environmentally we're in a
3: lot of trouble do you notice changes um yeah i i notice um you know the way that the beaches are more so than the actual ocean itself, but I noticed the way that the sand isn't coming back in some places and and just the way that, um, you know, the the beaches are eroding and, and getting destroyed and, and the trash that shows up and, and sharks in different spots and just changes in, in the way that, you know, other things are going on inside the ocean, but not... Not the waves per se. But those se. things
2: are, are profound, yeah. what you just described. Yeah. When the, to have, I mean, we certainly noticed that here in Sydney, suddenly there's white pointers here that never, great whites, I mean, yeah. that never used to be here. Yeah. And now they're turning up.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's super scary. Um, you know, I lived in Byron Bay and, you know, one year there was just attack after attack after attack up there. And, you know, like having kids, that's super scary. That's, that's, that's one of those things that it affects the way you, you enjoy it. It affects the way you release from the ocean. You're you're maybe more tense in the water, um, and it's happening all over the world. Yeah,
2: as as you look at you've uh, someone that has worked in the the surfing industry, and it is it is an industry for you know for many people who've not surfed, they recognize it as the the store in the shopping mall that you know sells the havianas like. That's what surfing is. It's not, you know, buying a board and and paddling out and and waiting for the right wave. As you travel around the world and go to different places, do you see, like particularly those kids uh, with um, Kelly and John John? they were just playing with these kids. Do you you see a different way that those kids approach the ocean than say, for example, your own kids or kids that grow up in a a kind of a more marketed to audience?
3: You know, like I think that there's definitely um, kids who treat the ocean as a gift. And then there's um, kids that just feel it's their right. They're they're obligated to it. Um, So, you know, I think the more that it's surrounded with them, you know, the less that they're like appreciative of it. Um, But the ocean has so much it could give that even if you go in with this, like, I'm owed this beach day or whatever it is, the ocean will teach you. (laughs) (laughs) Do you mean humble you? Yeah. (laughs) And and within that being humble, you you take a different step back and you you realize all these lessons that you've learned by becoming a better surfer and fitting in with the pack and the water and just even getting out to the back of the waves and getting through the waves and making it outside. If you're keen to hear more from Taylor Steele, our
2: full conversation, you can find it at episode 180. Not the early days of the show, but four years in? Yeah, it was a great chat. Goddamn. Amazing. If you haven't seen Momentum, you go back and watch it. And you'll go like, yeah, whatever. It looks like every surf film I've seen, but you've got to understand when you watch it, no surf film looked like that. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Thanks so much for Brie Steele, who produces episode Andy Mar and Audio and Video Post. You for listening. I'll see
3: you Friday. <laughs>